you receive these offers once in a while or let's say a contractor gives you 10% of the contract cost no? uh, but uh, I always it, it, the best is just to say no <laughs> whether you regret it or not but just to say no because if you start accepting it as part of the way of doing business that's why when you talk about corruption in the Philippines it's a culture of corruption you know? like, like uh, most contractors part of the SOP that they give to whether it's the engineers or the mayors or the governors that's part of the cost of doing business so it's just normal for them you know? they're, they're glad if, if the principals accept you know, these uh, gratuities no? but for me uh, will it compromise my work as an administrator for instance, if I accept, accept this money, even if it comes from a friend contractor who says, you know, this is just helping you, pakisama lang, ganyan. But what if the project is, is low standard, below standard? Would it affect my judgment in terms of approving the payment for a project that's not well built? That was Senatorable Teddy Bagilat. My name is JP Alipio. And you are listening to the Wildcast Podcast. Wildcast Podcast. Hey, 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 listeners of the Wildcast Podcast. I am back. It's been a while. It's been a few months. And it's now 2022. We're still in a pandemic. And uh, importantly, welcome to the third season of the Wildcast Podcast. And here we are today, right smack in the election season of the Philippines and I am starting off the wildcast with my very first episode for my third season with a good friend uh, someone I've known for I think 20 years now uh, Teddy Bagilat he is running for senator he is my fellow Cordilleran from Ifugao and we have uh, we had this conversation actually in December and I'm releasing it now because I think he is one of the most important statesmen that we could possibly have for this country. He represents us, the indigenous people of the Philippines. He represents a segment of this country that has been underrepresented for many, many years. In fact, pretty much from the beginning of the Philippine Republic. And he has fresh ideas, new ideas to bring to Philippine governance and more importantly he is not corrupt and he is a man of integrity please listen to this very important conversation with Teddy Bagilat and of course please share it with your friends and share the gift of this conversation with people you think would benefit from listening to the words and uh wisdom of Teddy Bagilat, possibly one of the first indigenous senators of this country, uh, definitely the first Igorot to become a senator of the Philippines. Teddy Bagilat on the Wildcast Podcast. I would like to invite all of you to help support the production of the Wildcast Podcast by buying us a coffee. All you have to do is go to buymeacoffee.com slash wildcast and buy us a coffee. Buy us two coffees, three, five, ten. All of those coffees would keep us caffeinated and keep us going, creating this content, talking to all of these amazing individuals and sharing their stories with all of you. So go to buymeacoffee.com slash wildcast and buy us a coffee. Welcome, Teddy, uh, to the Wildcast Podcast. So Hi, thank Teddy. you, thank you so much for agreeing to this uh, interview. No, uh, you're one of the people I've known for a while, and I look up to as a okay. fellow Cordilleran and uh, mountaineer, also someone who loves the outdoors. So thank you so much for coming on the on the show. Yeah, yeah, uh, thanks. So, Teddy, what have you been up to? Obviously, you're running for senator. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, uh, before being a candidate, uh, I was with the ASEAN Parliamentarians for Human Rights. So, I was the executive director. 
also I was uh, the chairman of the organizing committee for the Liberal Party. Okay. So we've been organizing chapters uh, nationwide. And also I was the president of the global, oh, I'm still the president of the Global Indigenous Community Conserve Areas. So I had my day job, which was uh, being executive director of uh, an international human rights organization in Southeast Asia. And then the other job was being uh, an organizer for the Liberal Party. And then my uh, advocacy was uh, working for indigenous communities, uh, particularly in recognizing their rights or their traditional governance on the biodiversity within their ancestral lands. Oh, nice. Yeah. And um, I mean, you were in politics for a very long time. No? You were there for, I think, you were once one of the youngest uh, mayors in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What, what was it that made you go into politics? As someone who came from UP, you, you jumped into politics. It's not so common for someone that young to decide to go into politics. Well, I guess it was providential uh, that I studied in Ifugao because I was born in Manila. So I grew up uh, initially in, in Metro Manila, in Quezon City. And then for, for some reason, I felt I didn't belong in the city. I couldn't find my place in that world. Uh, and so I asked my parents uh, permission for me to discover my roots as an Ifugao because I knew I was an Ifugao, but I knew nothing about culture of the indigenous peoples, our dialect. So at 13, I uprooted myself from Quezon City and transferred to Kiangan, Ifugao, and studied there. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I saw the disparity between those who are, well, have the luxury of, uh, of wealth. We belong to a middle-class family in Manila. My, my parents migrated to Metro Manila, uh, but they came from the province. No? Ifugao, mm -hmm. my dad is Ifugao, my mom is from Neo Vizcaya. Uh, and then when, when I went to Ifugao, uh, I, my classmates, they needed to work after class to have allowance. Uh, they didn't have shoes. They went to school in slippers. Um, they, really on, they only had one notebook. So this I, is in Kiangan. This is in Kiangan. Yeah. At that time, there was still no electricity. Uh, there was no TV, and and uh, I came in in shoes during the first day of class. In shoes, in a backpack, so many notebooks, and then all my classmates were in slippers. Wow! So when I entered the room, my teacher says, "Okay, we have somebody from. We have a new face in class." <laughs> I think you know him, and everybody was looking at me. So the following day, you know, I also came in slippers just to fit <laughs> in. <laughs> but then I told myself that you know, one of these days, I hope, uh, God willing, I, I can be of service to uh, our Ifugaos, especially in terms of uh, helping the poorer Ifugaos uh, have better access to quality education. And this is something you thought of at 13, at 13 years old? Really? Wow. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. Uh, that's why I, I, I say it's providential. It's, it's my leap of faith. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, I don't think I would have entered a, the field of public service if I grew up in Manila. Mm -hmm. uh, I would have probably chosen a different career. My personal life would have been different. Uh, um, you know, my mom wanted me to become a CPA lawyer. Okay, uh, that's, that's her, the dream of many dream. mothers. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> my mom was also a lawyer. Uh, feels that being CPA lawyer is a top, the elite. <laughs> You've reached the apex of uh, of your career as a CPA lawyer. Uh, that's her contention. But I ended up working in in Kiangan. Uh, initially, I wanted to establish an NGO. Okay. So at the time, uh, there were a lot of environmental NGOs uh, just after the EDSA revolution. And so my first job after college was really working with the environmental field, no? uh, either as, a, um, uh, as um, an employee of the DNR first, and then later on, uh, after several jobs, I ended up working with an environmental NGO. And then came that moment again when I told myself, 
I I feel like I don't belong here because I've been helping a lot of people who are not my own people. And so I decided to go back to Ifugao and my dream was to establish an NGO. But then that's when politics beckoned um, my peer mates, my barcada. Uh, they wanted uh, someone from the youth sector to be represented in the council. Okay. And uh, as usual in many indigenous uh, communities, uh, you have this uh, mindset that the count, that the leader should be elders. No? That's true. Yeah. The Not council. just in indigenous communities. Yeah, well. yeah. Mostly um, at the time, uh, most of the municipal officials were uh, seniors. No? Um, rare, rare, rare is it to see someone from the youth sector being elected in office. So my my um, friends said, you know, it's high time that the youth should also be represented. And since you want to help people because you wanted to put up an NGO, but you need also resources, might as well enter politics and be in the field of public service. And maybe you can pursue your advocacy as a public servant. So that's when I, I decided to run as a counselor and I won handily. And as they say, the... Um, Everything fit in, the rest yeah, is history. Yeah. The rest yeah, is history. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, throughout those years, you were in politics for more than 20 years. No? Yeah, yeah. More than 20 years in politics. What What do you do in your off time? What What do you do for fun? Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Um, well, it varies from age to age. <laughs> when I was younger, of course, badminton, uh, swimming, uh, uh Team sports like you know, basketball once in a while, and then or well, tennis, no? sports really. Uh, love music, of course. Collecting uh, the time tapes, <laughs> and then um, movies, and also reading books. Uh, nowadays, a bit older. Uh, instead of tennis, uh, it's just walking and and jogging once in a while. Biking. Biking, yeah. yeah I see you. Yeah. I see you on your bike. Yeah, yeah. Uh, biking, and then. Ironically, during this pandemic, uh, I got into hiking. Uh, it was really an eye-opener for me to discover that there are so many mountains near Metro Manila. That's true, Rizal. Rizal, and, yeah. yeah uh, mostly in Rizal. Uh, we, Montalban, I think, uh, so far we've scaled 10 of the peaks in Montalban. Nice, nice, yeah. yeah. Very slow, uh, casual pace. Uh, um, and so, in between the lockdowns, <laughs> because we, we started the climbing uh, uh, February of 2020, just before the the pandemic really hit hard. So, uh, it was a very joyous experience uh, being in the outdoors. Of course, really physically being challenged, but also mentally drained. Uh, but after the after each climb, of course, JP would feel so. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's that. There's that energy yes, that you yes, get after the yes, climb, after uh, the adventure. So that's why we made a, a we made my, uh, um, we call it the Dilawan Climbers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we made a pact that we will climb all the mountains in the Montalban uh, uh, range, um, eventually going to the other municipalities. And then the pandemic hit hard. Uh, but yeah, in between uh, the, the lockdowns, uh, we continued uh, um, mountain hiking uh, and the thing with mountain hiking in Rizal is you get to meet the indigenous peoples. That's true, no? You get to That's meet the, the Magats. Yeah, so it's also... Some of them are the guides also. Yeah, yeah. Um, and most of them are really in the hinterland. So part of the experience is trying to also connect with... It's very different, artists. no? The Dumagats to people here in our, our, our region in the Cordillera. I've always found that we are the luckier of the indigenous oh, groups definitely. of the Philippines oh, definitely. Uh, compared to many others yeah. or to most others, actually. I think uh, if you go through the entire region, we're wealthier in general, more better educated. Yeah. Uh, we have better rights. Uh, we are able to assert our rights in, in many ways compared to... So what do you think is the difference between us and them? Well, simply put, we're the majority in, in where we are. We are the political, economic, cultural majority in the Cordilleras. Uh, 
Whereas for the Dumagats, well, they used to be in, in the lowlands, actually in the coastal areas. That's why they're called Dumagats. Mm -hmm. And then when the migrants, the lowlanders, uh, intruded, uh, started pushing them towards the hinterlands. So that's why you find them mostly in the mountains. No? Uh, and so initially they would face a lot of uh, harassment, discrimination. Uh, so they retreated into their own... Um, the familiar forest yeah, world, no? Yeah, uh, where, where they hope that they could be isolated from um, the intruders. <laughs> Uh, but now, because really of, of, of the trends in terms of development, uh, of course, the globalization also, and some of the younger generations have also started going to schools. Uh, they're now really part of, of the society. You know? uh, unlike before, the, the worldview of an IP, particularly uh, these aboriginal uh, IP groups, uh, the Dumagats, the Aitas, the Mangyans, the Atis, the Mamanwas, no? their world revolved around the tribe. No? They knew nothing outside of yeah. their community. I mean, even here in, in the Cordillera, it used to be very yeah, much yeah, like that. Yeah, but now, of course, we need cell phones to connect with our relatives in, in overseas and in Metro Manila. Before the IP, when they wanted to visit their relatives, they walked for hours. It was fine with them. That's part of their life. Now you need a vehicle to be able to visit your uh, relatives. Uh, so there's been a major adjustment, especially for uh, the Dumagats, the Aitas. No? Uh, but now um, many of them have also gone through formal education. Uh, they have been trading also, selling their produce uh, to non-indigenous communities. So now there's really a need for them to adjust. And this is where the rights part come in, the advocacy for for protecting their rights. Um, I always tell the Dumagats, the Aitas, whenever I, uh, I uh, um, facilitate dialogues and meetings with them, that we, we IPs are educated. Never believe what other people are saying that IPs are illiterates, are uneducated, are lazy, uh, and all those misimpressions about indigenous peoples. Unfortunately, um, and, and we also have our rights under the law. There's the IPRA, Indigenous Peoples' Rights Act. There's the constitution that recognizes that these are the IPs. They have their own indigenous knowledge, systems, and practices. Unfortunately, it is written in English, uh, yeah. uh, which is where our advantage is. Here in the Cordillera. Yeah, we're, <laughs> yes, we're, definitely. We're, uh, uh, Everybody speaks English. Yeah, we were educated uh, by, by the missionaries uh, and, and um, a lot of schools were established uh, here in the Cordilleras, unlike in, in those areas. Um, although I tell them we're educated, they're educated, but formal education, if you want to call it that, that that's where most uh, indigenous peoples lack. And so for them to be able to fight for their rights, they have to study the, the, the language of which it is written, which is in English. And for them to be able to trade, because they're now trading with other people, and for them to be able to trade effectively, uh, then they have also have to get learning or knowledge on mathematics and other uh, subjects yeah. in formal education. So I think that's what, we're all doing and, and trying to promote uh, formal education for indigenous peoples and at the same time informing them that you have the rights mm -hmm. under the law and it's just a matter of us uh, fighting for them because I always tell uh, our um, brother and sister IPs that you have to struggle for that. That's been the history of indigenous peoples. No, it's not given to you in a silver platter. Even as Cordillerans. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I mean, We've had to... Be decades of yeah. struggle, a lot of heroes. Makliing Dulag, for instance. Uh, uh, so, yeah, that's... Um, uh, yeah, that's, that's I see where I see the difference between Cordillerans and most indigenous peoples. No? It's yeah. also interesting now, actually, for me, because uh, there's a lot of interest now in alternative learning uh, even for non-indigenous people and and really recognizing that, for instance, the learning that is being done by indigenous groups 
can be considered school. It can be considered... Mm. Kasi, uh, school as a concept, it's only, what, 150 years old, diba? Mm. But it's, it's not a very old concept. Most yeah. people used to learn through apprenticeship, through... The same way, in, in mm. the same way that indigenous groups um, used to learn, no? Um, and for you, no, like... Um, Obviously, for indigenous people, we learn a lot from our ancestors, our parents, our um, the the family, the big family unit around us. What do you think did your parents impart on you as uh, as as learning from you know you you grew up both in two worlds essentially yeah. Manila and Ifugao. It's like even for me it's the same I, I grew up in benguet and and my mother is from pampanga so so we have to both go through these two mm. worlds these two cultures and what is what is that uh do you think the learnings that you you've gotten from your parents or your mother well really christian values I remember before we going out in manila my mom was really very religious so before we sleep we would do all the prayers and uh, would really make it a point uh, for us to pray the family rosary, to always go to the church uh, on Sundays. But for my dad, and I think this is where um, I feel uh, my, the influence of my father is very strong, it's the appreciation for culture, the indigenous culture. Because he would tell us stories, even growing up in Manila, but tell us stories of Ifugao. The, the folklore, the mythologies, the kabunyan, the baki, uh, the legend of Amboya Lake, those things. And so that's what um, prodded me eventually to decide to go to Ifugao. Because as I mentioned, I wasn't feeling very happy in the world I lived in, in Metro Manila. And then I got curious uh, when they talk about these legends, about the spirits uh, and of the trees, of the rocks that's all around the, the Ifugo province, about the rituals, um, about how people yeah, courted one another, uh, the traditional engagements. And at that time, you know, growing up in Manila, um, I, was, I studied in a, an exclusive male school. So my my uncles who would visit us from time to time from Ifugao, they 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 were telling us that you know if you go to Ifugao, you can easily have a girlfriend because sometimes relationships are arranged by parents <laughs> like, through the traditional uh, engagement uh, rituals, and so all of these things um, picked my curiosity and and uh, my my longing to discover my roots. Uh, because of the stories of my uh, my father, and so I think it's important even for those um, younger generations who are now living in the cities who really know nothing about their heritage. It's important for the parents to constantly talk about uh, the the ancestral heritage, the the, the legends in the myths. Buhay sa ili. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because of course, if you grew up in the city, your life is now social media, Facebook, uh, Netflix. No, but once in a while, uh, and this is where the IEP mindset comes in, because for the indigenous peoples, education and values are passed on from generation to generation uh, through oral means. So the elders they call in the young boys and girls, and then they talk about you know. Um, proper etiquette, uh, these are the cultural values, these are our songs, our dances, no, our mythology. That's something that you only get to experience when you go to the province. This is true, yeah. Yeah, you've rarely experienced it in an urban setting. Uh, which is the reason why when I, when I went to Kiangan and studied there, that's when I really um, appreciated the, 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 the culture of a tribe instead of growing up in a neighborhood yeah. where you only know a few people. But in the province, especially in indigenous communities, you feel that you belong to a, to a tribe. And you, you speak about Ifugao, and I've been there many times. My wife has a project in Uha. Um, what do you think makes the Ifugao unique? I, I feel like in, in comparison to many other Cordillera tribes, 
it's similar but it's also quite unique in Fugao. And in fact, um, I think my wife's project, the Knitting Expedition, is successful there specifically because it's in Ifugao, not in We've tried this in Benguet. We've tried mm. it in other areas. It didn't, you know, it didn't work really well, no. And and in Ifugao, it seemed like we had the perfect mix of skill, community, and people wanting to work together. No, this is something quite unique for me. This is personally, no. So what what do you think? Makes yeah, I think Ifugao? the last point: people wanting to work together. No? Although, of course, we're also being mainstreamed. No? Uh, but in terms of um, the value of, of uh, well, in Filipino, we'll call it bayanihan. In Ifugao, we call it ubu. When people come together and help one another, that's still very strong in Ifugao. No? I would have thought that we Ifugaos are less entrepreneurial compared to... Benguet. Benguet, <laughs> Kalinga, Mountain Province. You know, uh, because we really have a, a few products except for our wood carving which really uh, sells no but in terms of developing uh, enterprises small and medium enterprises the mindset is still largely uh, doing it for the local consumption or for tourists who go to to Ifugao but um because while Cordillera uh, the terraces are supposed to be located everywhere in the Cordillera, but it's only now in Ifuga where you find large tracts of rice terraces. And the key to preserving the rice terraces is community work. Uh, you know, when, when the terrace walls collapse, uh, you don't wait for government to fix it or the Department of Tourism or the Department of Agriculture. The community helps uh, in the spirit of uh, community volunteerism to fix the irrigation systems, to protect the watersheds, no? to fix the collapsed terraces walls, no? to make sure that every month, uh, every particular month of this year, people start planting, and every particular month of this year, people harvest no? uh, in a community effort. So that's still strong in Ifuga because that's where you still find rice terraces that are well-preserved. So yeah, I think the the spirit of uh, volunteerism is still very much strong, despite uh, some changes in the values, yeah. especially of the younger generations. No? But uh, the, the, um, the, the old traditions are still very much prevalent uh, in, in, in Fugao community. Yeah. Now, you talk about the rice terraces, and I notice every... I, I'm there in Fugao maybe twice a year, three times a year, and every year that I go to Ifugao, there seems to be less rice terraces and more forest. I mean, as an environmentalist, I like forests. But sometimes when you see the rice terraces being taken over already mm, mm, mm. Uh, by the forest, it's a little sad no, to see that all of this, it's our cultural heritage. No? And of course, your mm. cultural heritage as an Ifugao. What do you think we can do um, as a nation or maybe as, as Ifugaos to help... Uh, preserve or continue this you know it's 300 400 years old yeah um the challenge well there are a lot of factors uh, climate change is one as uh, rain used to be gentle that's how one of the elders described it now sometimes rain can be very destructive it leads to a lot of landslides and then there are long periods of no rain so the paddies crack up, uh, and then there was this problem of uh, the earthworms. Uh, but I think it's largely out-migration, uh, the terraces being abandoned. For a time, uh, based on a study by the UNESCO, 25% of the rice terraces were either damaged or destroyed or abandoned. So I think uh, more than uh, any other issue, it's really um, the owners or the rice terraces farmers uh, abandoning their ancestral lands. No? That's the challenge. Uh, there was a time when I would have told Ifugaos that let's stay in Ifugao and preserve our rice terraces. But that's difficult because uh, the trend nowadays is really to migrate to urban centers. The jobs are there. The jobs are there. When people get educated, they they seek uh, office work. Uh, they go overseas or go to the cities. 
if you look at the profile of the terraces farmers and not, not just in Ifoga, but largely the the farmers are really getting older yes uh, or many of them are those who weren't uh, given the opportunity to continue uh, formal education in college you know, or higher education so yeah um, now my my formula is just making sure that at least uh, some of the family members stay behind uh, the rest of course that's really part of the Filipino story that we go to other places um, but at least for those who go to so-called greener pastures they continue to to give support no, uh, and assistance to those who remain in Ifugao so that they can continue maintaining their family heritage now it's our job as, as leaders uh, of of the province to make sure that we also provide for the basic services for the people who stay behind I mean, they may not become rich in the sense of that they earn millions if they stay in the rice terraces, but at least they can live comfortably. Yeah. So they have medical, yeah, care, medical education, better roads at least. Yes, you know? uh, livelihood, better communication facilities, so they can talk to relatives. Uh, and there's always happiness uh, staying in a rural setting. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It's really yeah the the. The need for cash that drives people to go out yeah. of the rural areas. Uh, that's really also a problem of other indigenous communities. You know? the, the younger generations are starting to um, migrate to uh, leaving their ancestral lands. Mm-hmm. And for IPs, uh, that is very um, important because our lives are attached to the land. And so I think this is the reason why uh, there are also adjustment problems for other IPs who have left their ancestral lands and now living in the cities. Some of them end up begging. Uh, this is a phenomenon that you see often with with the Bajaos, yes. with the Mangyans, mm-hmm. the Aitas. It's uh, very detached already. Yeah, from, because they're, they're not away from, yeah. <laughs> from their ancestral lands. From what lands. they know, basically. Yes, yes. Uh, and so they'd, they'd like to go back, but you know, they're already stuck in the city. Uh, their families are now there. They don't have the means to go back to where they came from. But they really regret leaving their ancestral There lands. is that connection for all yeah. of us. Yeah. And, but I feel like these days, there's even for people who live here, like in Baguio or in Benguet, there's a lot less connection to knowing your local ecosystem, your local environment. And for a lot of IPs, sometimes you no longer connect what being an IP is with the mountain that you're from, with the land that mm. you're from, more with the the dances, yeah. the clothing, the cultural practices, but not so much with the land, no. Parang, yeah. And and I feel it's it's a little sad for me being someone who spends maybe seventy percent of my time outdoors, mm. uh, and I know like I can I can literally walk from Benguet all the way to Kalinga, and I know the entire landscape, mm. but. Not very many locals know that anymore, right? And that's that's really for me. Being indigenous is knowing your land, knowing what's in that land, the rivers, the forests, and and I I think we are losing it, eh? even as yeah. indigenous. Groups. Even even language itself. Um, that's why for me, uh, the tribes that have already lost their identity, you know, either they get displaced from their ancestral lands or they lose their faculty of speaking their own language. So sometimes when I talk to Ifugaos and they'd rather speak in Ilocano or even speak in Tagalog or English, I always try to you know shift the conversation into the native dialect because it's important really for indigenous peoples also to protect that, that There's that so language. much information loaded yeah, in the because language. Because our culture no? is transferred orally. And that's why tribes are often described as ethno-linguistic tribes. You are defined by your dialect. Yeah, and, and that's, it's also sad that uh, part of my uh, uh, ancestry is being with the Gadang tribe of Biscay. But there are already a lot of Gadangs who no, no longer speak Gadang. They, they speak Ilocano. No? Uh, and, and you're right. Um, um, most often for the younger generations, uh, they're they still value the importance of culture but it's really more on the dances and the songs no i think it also uh, has something to do with the education that we grew up with uh, i always uh, say that when i was in manila I, I learned about world history 
history of, of Westerners. And then when I went to Ifugao, I learned about the history of the Tagalogs. Uh, I studied the, the epic Lamang, which is uh, Ilocano folklore, or um, uh, Ibunadarna, which is a Tagalog uh, chant. But I never learned about my own Ifugao Hudhud chant, which is one of the intangible uh, uh, heritage pieces of the world. No? Uh, even history, uh, we talk about Ifugao warriors uh, rebelling against the Spanish conquerors during that specific period that the Filipino Revolution also started in Bulacan, in Cavite. But during Independence, Independence Day celebrations, we don't commemorate about the heroism also of our local heroes. So um, I think there's really a need to indigenize our uh, education curriculum. So like if we talk about history, let's first talk about our own history. Uh, because the only thing we know about history of the Ifugaos as taught in our textbooks, if there ever there are textbooks, are who was the first governor. Right. <laughs> but nothing really or about Or just it. like the, the rice terraces are a thousand years yes, old. Yes, <laughs> yes. No. But we learn about, you know, uh, lowland culture. Uh, our songs are about you know, Tagalog lullabies or the folk dances. No? But now, the, the Department of Education is slowly incorporating uh, uh, at least the songs and the dances into the curriculum. But I still think we need to um, 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 you know, incorporate more values, the, the, the indigenous and Cordillera values within our curriculum so that we can fully understand what it means to be close to the land, what it means to have affinity with the environment. This episode of the Wildcast Podcast is brought to you by Atlas. Atlas is a Filipino company that has a unique philosophy. It brings in products that are both functional and more importantly are part of the circular economy. What does this mean? It means each product is not only useful for you, but the process it undergoes from creation to getting it to your hands is sustainable. Products like the Rocketbook Reusable Notebook make it easier for you to live a lower carbon lifestyle while giving back to the planet through the 1% for the planet initiative. Other products they carry like the solar inflatable lanterns not only are powered by the sun but the company that makes them brings light to areas of the world not reached by electricity. I use both products, the solar lanterns as well as the rocket book and I'll be honest, it makes adventuring a little bit more fun, a little bit easier and it just feels more sustainable. I don't have to bring batteries anymore. Uh, for the lantern, I don't have to have a notebook where I, I need pages and pages of paper. I can just write in the rocket book, take a photo of it, erase, write in the rocket book, and it's endless. So you're able to be sustainable while helping the planet. The special discount, just use Wildcast on checkout. Or go to atlascommune.com slash wildcast. You can also find a link in our show notes. Now on with the show. And what do you think being in being a, a leader in your community for so long, what do you think has changed in Ifugao in the in the entire duration of your 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 being in uh, the leadership role in, in your community? Oh uh well in, in my in my analysis of history, um, and this is not a, 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 a hit on, on the Catholic Church, but definitely when, when religion was introduced uh, in Ifugao, uh, I guess in the Cordillerans, and the, the church, the conservative church at that time, would uh, ban uh, native spiritual practices. At that time, no, uh, you were ostracized uh, if you practice the rituals of the Ifugaos, of the Cordillerans, you were considered pagan. So that contributed to um, the generations of that time uh, on, on their own frowning upon their own culture. At least now you, you have the church uh, realizing that the, the faith of, of the Cordillerans, the old spirituality of the Cordillerans are actually attuned to the, the current Christian faith. No? Um, 
and then also the cash economy. Uh, as I mentioned before, if there's a problem, the tribe contributes. Uh, trade was through the barter system. I need food. I need rice. Okay, here's my, here's your chicken in exchange for my rice. Those things. Now, more and more, we need cash because of the economy uh, for for you to be able to communicate with your loved ones. You now need cell phone. You now need the um, uh, load. Everybody now wants an internet connectivity uh, before you can just walk to the places. Even if it takes hours, you're fine with that. Now you need the car. You need the uh, money to pay for your fare. So those things. No? Um, but uh, well, that's part of of life these yeah. days. So it's progression. Yeah, it's progression. It's something that you need to embrace. But at the same time, I think we need to go back. Uh, again, I always emphasize education because that's where you really develop your values initially. Well, it starts at home. And and this is where uh, it's also crucial for, for parenting that most most young Ifugos these days get their values on like everybody else on Facebook, on Twitter. So I think it's important to go back to the cultural values of Ifugao that uh, uh, information and values was transferred from generation to generation, not through social media, not to the television, but the the, the father to the son, the mother to the daughter. You know? So yeah, I think it's important that we go back to, to the practices of uh, olden times. You know? And you're running for senator. What what do you plan to do as a senator if if ever you do win? Oh, a lot. <laughs> Obviously, yes. That's why you're running. Well, um, <laughs> but I'll just just probably summarize it into three major points. No, one is uh, the advocacy for environment because uh, I've always been an environmental advocate, protection of our biodiversity, of our remaining forests, good zoning and woodland use planning, uh, better regulation of the mining industry. Now, because of climate change, we need to think of laws, policies, and programs that reduce fossil fuel emissions. No? And in the Philippines, uh, that means maybe reducing the use of private vehicles having more bike lanes, having better pedestrian lanes, improving the public transport system, even looking into uh, hybrid cars. No? I mean, uh, these, are, these are regulations that need to be done. It will be a drastic lifestyle change for many Filipinos, but it's being done in other countries. Singapore, for instance, bans the, second, the, the ownership of a second vehicle. So families are only entitled to one vehicle. Uh, because of uh, fossil fuel emissions. Uh, it probably means also phase out of coal plants, shift to wind, solar, and other cleaner and safer energy. So that's my environmental advocacy. Second, uh, culture. Uh, um, not just our songs and dances, appreciation of Filipino music, uh, but also our positive values as a Filipino. And, and this is where education comes in. So um, we need to really increase, double, triple the budget of the Department of Education because they say that at least 8% of the GDP has to be invested in education. In education. That's the study worldwide. The countries that have really invested largely on education, whether it's Singapore in Southeast Asia um, or the Scandinavian countries. And currently, Asia. what is the rate at the Philippines? Oh, it's probably lower than... Uh, 3%. 3%, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a big budget, but it's still um, relatively low when, it th when you think about the need you know, uh, for better schools, um, better access to education. Uh, and then f the third K, I would say, is Karapatan. So it's Kalikasan, Kultura, including education, and then Karapatan, Rights. So of course, indigenous peoples' rights, um, Cordillera in particular, you know, uh, um, the rights of the Cordillera um, over their natural resources. We're and pretty okay here, I think, <laughs> in most cases. In most cases, yeah, in most <laughs> cases. But uh, I've, I've always uh, cited that every budgeting in my nine years as a lawmaker, because we, we take care of the budget, uh, Cordillera usually gets the lowest in terms of share from, from the national budget. 
No, um, and well, if you ask the the, the economic planners, oh, they would say that in terms of the needs, in terms of the population, in terms even uh, on the contribution of the region to the gross domestic product, we're the smallest. But in terms of our value as a region, we provide the water to yes to region one, region two. So they're two. not counting that value no, that we're providing, no, no. the ecosystem value. Ecosystem value, uh, environmental services. We're the refrigerator, they say, of uh, Luzon, uh, especially now with climate change. You know, that makes the region even more important. Uh, in terms of the the our our watersheds, no? in terms of the biodiversity that uh, is still in the Cordillera ranges, no, uh, so I think that has to be inputted in terms of looking at the economic development uh, of the nation as a whole, no, the importance of what Cordillera brings, even in terms of tourism, no, um, people are attracted to the Philippines because they always see this picture of the rice terraces. That's true, no, We're, we we are. A brand in itself, yeah, and yeah. we provide value yeah. uh, for the whole country yeah. simply because the rice terraces of Ifugao exist. Simply yeah. because even Baguio, for instance, exists yeah. as a yeah. as a brand that creates yeah. value for all, and not just not just for Baguio itself. So that should be incorporated. Yeah. That you're saying into the so they come planning. to the Philippines. Some they visit the Cordilleras, but most go to the beaches after. So that's our contribution to the economy. But what attracted the tourists is the rice terraces, the, rice terraces yeah. the, the caves of Sagada. Uh, but then in terms of contributing to other economies down south where the beaches are, no, we, we, we contribute dead. No? So that I think has to be incorporated. We've never had an indigenous senator <laughs> in the Philippines. No? You would be the very first, if ever. Uh, well... Most Muslims consider themselves also as indigenous, no? um, whether you're Yakan or Bajau. So I, I'm really not so sure of the fact, but at least I can say that I would be, if, if I win, the first Igorot uh, senator. No? Uh, because we've had Muslim senators in the past, no? and, and technically... Uh, the Tausugs, the um, Bajaus, no, the Sama, they, they are Islamized, but they're also indigenous. No? But I can pretty much say that at least as a, the first um, Igorot uh, senator, yes. Nice. And I know you, you're, you're, you talk about education, and during your time as a local official in Ifugao, I always hear these stories that you donate your salary as a, to 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 scholarship education uh to to the kids of Ifugao, no? Well, I remember the I remember the <laughs> it's a it's a myth that I keep hearing. <laughs> <laughs> well I, I remember the 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 my thirteen year old promise to myself that one day I'd like to help, no? And this is where my, my the learnings of a politician come in that never make promises. Because when I first ran as a councillor in Kiangan, uh, I was really an ex inexperienced politician. Uh, and the only platform that I advertised during the campaign is if I win, <laughs> because I value education, I will use my salary to have scholars. Which shouldn't really be because, you know, you use your salary for, your, for, yourself. for yourself. And then you have <laughs> programs on scholarship, no, that's your job to have programs on scholarships for poorer students, no, and and uh, you use your own salary for your own self because you that's hard earned uh, money, but because that was my promise, <laughs> and so when I won, people came to me asking for scholarships, and and even when I became governor and, and mayor because we had our own scholarship programs, but it stuck to the minds of the people that this guy. Uh, uses his salary for scholarship, so we can always ask his help. Uh, so even if when I had a lot of scholars that were funded by you know, my Commission of Higher Education, the NCIP, so my job was just to make sure that uh, um, we facilitate the, the funding coming from these agencies for, for the students in Ifugao. But there were still people who came to me uh, asking for you know, privately funded scholars, you know, because not everybody qualifies for government scholarships. Yeah. No? 
not everybody wants to study in state universities and colleges. Uh, uh, so, so yeah, I, I, I keep on, until now, no? uh, I have a scholar who is actually in the seminary. Okay. <laughs> Hopefully, he's, he will become a priest uh, by next year. But for the past no, eight years, I've been providing his allowance. Wow. Because uh, sometimes the, 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 the educational fees are paid for by government, but it's the allowance really. That's, that's right. That's also very expensive. And, and for a seminarian, wow. There's so many expenses before you become a priest. Talaga. <laughs> oh, yeah, grave. Kaya free yun. No, because you have to pay for like, uh, they, they go to, to their communities. Okay. So they go okay. to Mindanao mm. and minister. So the, the fare is not free. Oh. Yeah, okay. uh, they need a laptop to make their you know, presentations. Again, you have to sp you spend for it. So yeah, I, I, I now realize that... Uh, Oh, it's so expensive to become a priest. Before, because it was all paid. No? Uh, yeah, before my uncle was a priest. Yeah, so. no, no longer now. Ah, no, okay. no longer now. I think uh, they've learned that some just use the... To just get an education yes. and then leave. <laughs> I think that's what my uncle intended, but he became a priest. Ah, okay, that's good. That's good. <laughs> uh, and, you know, connected to, to that, you're not a very wealthy politician, obviously, you know. Uh, Last year, over the pandemic, you were selling Cordillera products as part of basically your livelihood. No, um, how do you think? Like people always see politicians as wealthy, Parang in the Philippines in particular, we have this view of politicians that they have money. They, whether you're a first termer or you're you're you know twenty years into being a politician, they think that politicians are wealthy. Obviously, in the Cordillera, it's not always correct. No? That's, most Cordillera politicians are not, not wealthy, in fact. But uh, what do you think of this view? And you as a, you know, you, by most rights, if you were a lowland politician, you'd probably be a very wealthy. Nothing, nothing uh, I'm not judging people no, uh, there, but just looking, I've worked with a lot of them and, people who have stayed in power, the amount of time that you were in power have now accumulated the vast amount of wealth and power. No? And you have, uh, you seem to have neither at the moment. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> I'm still trying to fix our house, our ancestral house in Ifugao. Uh, I'm still paying my amortization for my condo. Uh, this is my car, right? is fully paid. I mean, you know, um, I'm not, I'm not wealthy. I'm also not poor. I, I think uh, salaries of government officials have fairly risen. Yes, in the last five yeah, years. Yeah, or so. uh, which I think is important. No, which I think is important because being in public service, uh, you're well, you're expected to help people in need, even giving your own salary because that's what they expect. Uh, it shouldn't be that way because sometimes it's also our fault, politicians, we spoil our constituents. No? But when people, especially now, when people are in need for hospitalization, government sometimes uh, is very slow in processing uh, um, the ayuda to, to people. That's where pe people approach the politicians. No? It's a shortcut. Yeah, and the nation. So that's part of, of life. No? Uh, uh, but you need to be able also to manage your own finances. Because if you use up your salaries, then there's a temptation. Uh, because how do you take care of your own families? There's a temptation to also be corrupt. No? Uh, and I've also always believed that corruption begins during the elections. If you spend too much, you spend, what, 300 million, 400 million to become a congressman. That's not gonna be enough uh, for three years, no, in terms of your salary. But doesn't mean that the the um, our officials are getting meager salaries. They have a lot of benefits, no, uh, which should be used for your own family and at the same time, once in a while, helping people. But the thing is, because you spend too much during the elections, then there's always this temptation. No? Um, and so, f for me, at least, that's where the Christian values come in my parents really inculcated uh, upon me. I mean, I'm not really very religious, but the values have stayed in me. Uh, and I, I remember my mom always would say that, okay, 
you're into public service, but just remember, uh, we have the, the Bagulets and the Browners. We have this reputation that that we are we have we're supposed to be uh, people helping other people and not uh, um, taking advantage, you no, know, to enrich ourselves. You no, know? uh, we are a, a family of public servants. You no. Know? Uh, Public service is the public trust. That's that's those are the values that my parents inculcated that, uh, to me at the young age, because they're also most of our relatives are also working in in public service, no? not in politics but in government. No? So for me, I I think um, lifestyle also is very important. Uh, I know a lot of politicians. Uh, uh, big time gamblers and 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 people who really uh, bet a lot. Uh, um, so I think you've been you have to have also that uh, code of ethic eth ethics no? uh, that that you need to imbibe in yourself. No, uh, if you're a public servant, it's difficult. Uh, in my thirty years of public service, uh, there were really times that um, without I call it aid from my parents. <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to take care of my own personal needs because oh, wow. I, I used really my saril to help other people. Which again, I, I really don't recommend. <laughs> but I think it always, to be able to help others, you have to help yourself first. Yes, so, you know, exactly. You, you yeah. have to be able to care for yourself yeah, yeah. so that you, you can care for others yes. even better. No? Yeah, so I'm, I'm good with the uh, uh, politicians, politicians, uh, who may have their own professions, no? Uh, in, in fact, in other countries, no, you have lawyers and they still practice uh, their legal profession, but their public service is also part of their work. But uh, their their main source of income is their other professions. Yeah. No? yeah. Uh, but I guess this is also the reason why I'm still single. That's right. You're famously single. <laughs> <laughs> because otherwise, I think when when you get married, I really do believe that uh, if if a person uh, settles down, everything has to be focused on the family. Uh, but now my my family is is the people I serve. Uh, my time is devoted to the people I serve. Uh, but when you become a family man, everything you know, has has to be um, for the family first. You know? And then the job, the second. Yeah. I, I lived in this small village in the mountain province, in Bituagan, mm. years, years ago, 2007. And the old man would always come to me, say that, you know, you should get married. Because I was single back then. You should get married because if you're not married, you have no purpose. And uh, I think it's similar to what you're echoing. True, no? true, true. Uh, if you have no kids, you have no purpose in life. True, you're just... true. Uh, <laughs> I, I really feel that, you know, more, well, of course, I'm running for the Senate. Uh, this is also my vocation. But I really would love to have children some days. Uh, uh, and, you know, um, impart upon that child uh, together with, with my uh, spouse about all the advocacies and the values that I've been fighting for as a public servant. I mean, that, that to me, I think, is one of, well, is the great plan. Yeah. <laughs> the great plan beyond this uh, uh, Senate run. <laughs> and and this, the, the whole 30 years that you were in, in public service, you were never tempted to be corrupt. I mean, obviously, there's something that always comes your way, right? There's there. always, there's always you, you receive, uh, like, for instance, I remember... Uh, um, Someone was offering uh, wetting, you know, if, if you just allow wetting in your province, uh, this can help you in your scholars. I mean, you, know, you receive these offers once in a while, or let's say a contractor you g gives you 10% of the contract cost. No? Uh, but you know, I always, it, it, the best is just to say no. <laughs> Whether you regret it or not, but just to say no. Because if you start accepting it as part of, the way of doing business. That's why when you talk about corruption in the Philippines, it's a culture of corruption. You know, like like uh, most contractors, part of the SOP that they give to whether it's the engineers or the mayors or the governors, that's part of the cost of doing business. So it's just normal for them. You no, know? they're they're glad if if the principals accept you no know, these uh, gratuities. You no. Know? But for me, uh, will it compromise my work as an administrator? 
For instance, if I accept this money, even if it comes from a friend contractor who says, you know, this is just helping you, pakisama lang, ganyan. But what if the project is, is low standard, below standard? Would it affect my judgment in terms of approving the payment for a project that's not well built? No? Or wetting, for instance, uh, I, I also don't want people to um, depend on gambling as a source of living, but that's what wetting does. No? Uh, people spend a lot on, you all know, people line up uh, for the lot of tickets, and mm. now you also have weddings. So people would become lazier if they feel that, well, there's always wetting to you know, hitting the jackpot, quick rich schemes. No? So I, I told the person, that, you know, sorry, uncle, but not here in, in Ifuga, because wetting also means if it's there, it means that the authorities allowed it. Yeah. That's my, especially for a small yeah. place, you know. Especially because everybody knows who the wedding people yeah. are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, uh, one one story uh, is when when I when when I, we have meetings with the Peace and Order Council, and I always when I was governor, I will say, okay, wedding is illegal. Uh, let's let's not allow it here in Ifogao. I want everybody, you know, to be in sync in terms of fighting wedding. And then after that, the police uh, chief came to me uh, in private and, and he asked me, oh yeah, we heard you, sir, in, on public saying that this, but do you really want wetting to, to be stopped? And I said, of course. <laughs> uh, okay, just wanted, just wanted to be sure. <laughs> because we've often heard that before uh, in, in their previous assignments. And then when they really start clamping down on wetting, then you know, <laughs> the authorities would say, Hey, uh, right, right, uh, that's right. just you know. Uh, <laughs> There's a public face in the yeah, private. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what uh, he really wanted, and and so I think um, while you receive a lot of temptations every day, but as long as you have a solid foundation of what you really believe in, and and the reason why you're here is really um, public service, public service as a public trust, then I think it's easy to fight uh, corruption. Just say no. Just say no. It's that simple. No? Anyway, thank you very much. Is there a final message you'd like to tell the Filipino people? Oh, yeah. Uh, we're all religious. Uh, one of the most religious peoples in the world, actually. I've been traveling a lot, and, and really what differentiates Filipinos from others, aside from us being very happy, is also our religiosity. No? And to me, I think the, the real expression also of uh, our spirituality is our oneness with nature. Because when you are out there on the outdoors and you look at the, the beautiful mountains, this is where you can really say, this is God's creation. I'm sure you've felt yes, that way. Yes, uh, very much. This is God's creation. Nobody can create this masterpiece of beauty except God. So I think for us to show our appreciation, for our for our Lord, for our Almighty God, then let's take care of His creation. Uh, we always say let's take care of our children. I'd like to add that aside from from taking care of ourselves, no, what our, our brethren, let's also take care of the of nature, of the environment. Yeah. Thank you very much. That was wonderful. Um, I was in a talk recently, and someone said, someone asked the question. Are you being a good ancestor? And I think for me, that was such a powerful question. You know, are you, am I being a good ancestor? Because everything I do now, all my choices will follow. And just like you said, uh, for, you know, taking care of God's creation. Mm -hmm. And that's what we really should do. And also for the politics of this country, you know, we should be good ancestors to future oh, yeah. Filipinos. Yeah, that's what we always hear from. Uh, uh, at least from President, uh, Vice President Lenny Robredo, and you know, I mean, the question that eventually our gr grandchildren or great grandchildren will probably be asking uh, their parents is, what did our ancestor do? Exactly. Yeah, when they had a chance, when they had a chance to fight uh, climate change, for instance, when they had the chance to to really uh, get us out of the pandemic. And have the Philippines recover economically. What would what did you do at that time? So thank you, thank you very much, thank Teddy. You, that baby. this was a wonderful conversation, and I'll end it there. This is uh, of course Teddy Bagilat. He's running for senator 
he has my vote Thank obviously you. goes without saying and i encourage everyone to look him up and listen the ones who have listened to this episode to please uh consider teddy as uh your vote for senator for this country Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, JP. A life dedicated to public service. That was Teddy Bagilat, and this is the Wildcast Podcast. Thank you, everyone, for listening, for following the Wildcast Podcast, and that conversation, of course, with Senatorial Teddy Bagilat, which uh, discusses his life, uh, his life as a public servant in Ifugao over the last 30 years his childhood as well as the passions that he has in life uh, i truly believe that he is one of those politicians that comes once in a lifetime and uh to be honest i've known teddy for a while and being a politician you're exposed to a lot just like he discussed in this episode where you're actually exposed to a lot of temptation it takes a lot of real integrity, a lot of strength of character in order to say no. To continuously say no despite all of those things probably being the easier path for many politicians in the Philippines. It takes a certain level of integrity, it takes a certain character to be able to go through 30 years of public service with an unblemished record such as his and also I have to say in his term he was able to raise the living standards in Fugao by I think two notches on the on the scale on the economic scale of uh, this country which is why we need more people like him you know we we need more people from the fringes of uh, of our society. More leaders that come from remote areas like Ifugao, uh, underserved areas like Ifugao and the Cordilleras, to be part of the national conversation. And Teddy Bagilat is one of those people. Let's get him into the Senate. Let's get him making laws for every Filipino and taking care of the Philippine nation. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to the Wildcast Podcast. And, of course, if you haven't followed us yet, please follow the Wildcast Podcast. If you haven't shared it with your friends, please share this on your social media, your Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all of that. And if you have something to share and you want to help us continue producing the episodes of the Wildcast Podcast, you can buy us a coffee. You can just go to buymeacoffee.com slash wildcast and buy us a coffee. And uh, thank you again so much for those who have followed us over the last three seasons. This is the third season of the Wildcast Podcast and we look forward to more great episodes and more great conversations to share with all of you. My name is JP Alipio and you are listening to the Wildcast Podcast.